0: is from Winston Churchill. He says, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The two O C the show that covers the things we love from two parts of the world. Orange County, California and Orange County, Florida. Welcome to episode three. This episode, Anton talks about fringe interests he has. I talk about privilege, and we both pig out. I'm Alan Flores,
1: and I'm Anton Duong.
0: All right, Anton, what do you want to start off today? Uh, let's start off
1: with uh, you. You had a pretty interesting week last week when you went to the OC
0: Night Market. Oh dude, so much freaking food! I. It's one of those things where I actually felt like I got defeated. You know?
1: <laughs> It's worse than man versus food.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because you walk in and you're like, oh my god, I want to try that. I want to try that. Oh, that looks good. I went to three places, dude, and I was done. But uh, let me give you the rundown of what what I got. And you'll probably stop and guess which one filled me up. Uh, So one of the places I stopped at was uh, Bakwa Boss. Uh, Bakwa is marinated jerky. Mm. So beef, pork, stuff like that. And it's... It's marinated in um, either medium, mild, or spicy sauce.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what kind of um, what kind of country makes that stuff? I was what looking it country? up. I was looking it up. I, I honestly thought it was in Korea, but uh-huh. uh, it, it looks like it's Japanese. Bakwa. Okay. B-A- B-A-K-K-W-A. Oh, so it's Japanese. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so I tried the bakwa bites. I just wanted to get like, a, the taste of it and stuff like that. Um, but then I also saw this other thing they had on their menu, and I had to try it. Uh, bakwa oni. Okay, so in Japanese, the rice ball is onigiri, right?
1: Yeah, onigiri.
0: Right, onigiri, but this is onigiri razu, which means it's not ball. It's rice. It's it's a rice shape, but it's not a ball. That's mm. how I was trying to look it up. So mm-hmm. think of uh, masubi.
1: Okay, that so sounds delicious.
0: Yeah, so this is they had the marinated jerky inside the the rice ball or rice triangle, what do you want to call it? Covered with uh, the marinated cheese and oh wrapped wrapped in seaweed. It was so good, but I mean, if you you've been to many food events, you never fill up on rice, and that's I just couldn't resist it. But that's that's one one of my mistakes.
1: Yeah. Usually, like uh, rice is very starchy, so and plus it have, expands, like, yeah, it expands too, especially when you have like you know, soda or something, it, it just goes crazy in your stomach. Like...
0: Which, luckily, I didn't. Oh, and the one thing I didn't write down in my notes, but we did try was uh, they had passion tea, oh, passion fruit that tea, good. it mm. was so good, dude. And you could tell it's fresh because it still had the pulp in it and stuff like that. Ugh. it hit the spot, especially with the hot weekend we had there. Oh, nice. Uh, next spot we went to was Lucky Ball Korean Barbecue. Mm-hmm. So here I learned my lesson. Um, they had they promoted mostly their skewers, and they had different types of meats for the skewers. But they also had like bowls, plates, stuff like that. I said, "No, no, 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 no! I just want to try the meats." So I got the chicken because it had like special marinade season on it, and I also got the pork belly. Dude. The pork belly was freaking amazing. It just melted in your mouth.
1: So, does it taste like those uh, Korean barbecue places, or um, what, what makes it stand out? Is it the flavor of the marinade?
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's the flavor of the marinade, which is more savory, salty kind of flavor to it. At least the pork belly and the the chicken were. But also, like, unlike Korean barbecue places, I mean, the meat here is cooked slowly, so it's I mean, considering this is a food event, I'm shocked that they took the time to do this. But, dude, that just makes it more tender, and it just falls off the skewer. It was so good. Um, The other things they had on the menu but I didn't get to try was the pork rib, pork rib skewer, beef skewer, and the one I was tempted to try but I knew it was going to be risky was the squid skewer.
1: Well, the thing with Koreans is they make squid and octopus delicious.
0: I know, but like, just I don't know. There's certain places you can get certain types of food. I didn't know if seafood at a festival in the heat was the best place.
1: Oh yeah, because they put it in marinade or they put it in you know those boxes. Right, and, and you do don't know it, how long yeah.
0: how, how long they've had it to prep and stuff like that. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it was probably fine, but that was just me my paranoia. <laughs> uh, the last place I went to was Cafe Cafe Nine Four Nine. Here this is the first booth they had right when you walk in and I saw that and I was like I'm coming back for you. It was lo- grilled lobster. Ooh. So, so Cafe
1: 9409 sounds like more of a local thing. Like uh 9409
0: is uh Irvine area code. They're all local. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they're all, they're all local. Um I mean that's what I think this what makes it a better this a better festival is it's not just restaurants that, like, came from nearby counties. They're all local, at least the ones that I tried. Yeah. The first and, one, I believe, is off Golden West, which is, like, Westminster, Huntington Beach area. Yeah. Uh, Lucky ba- Lucky Ball, I think, was more Anaheim. hmm And then Cafe 949, which, like you said, it's more the newer areas of Orange County, like Irvine and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, Irvine's got some really good food. So. They,
0: they're getting a very good variety, dude. Yeah. When I, when I first started working in Irvine... It's, it was a struggle, dude. I think my go-to place was, like, Flame Broiler. Mm-hmm. But now, dude, they're opening so many places. I love it.
1: Yeah, for me, because I've been to Irvine for a very long time because of all the Asian culinary stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Like, there's uh, really good Chinese food. There's really good uh, Japanese food. And also, like, uh, the Taiwanese kind of took over a little bit of Irvine. They got, like, you know, all the shaved ice. They got all those uh, amazing uh, uh, ramen, Taiwanese-style ramen. I didn't
0: know shaved ice was Thai. Uh,
1: shaved ice is pretty much everybody, but uh, Taiwanese kind of, you know, did their own twist on it. Okay. And they, they would add, like, red bean,
0: green tea, uh, condensed milk, and all that stuff. So, like, us Mexicans, we have the raspado? The yeah. shaved ice with uh, sugar water? <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, but, you know, the thing I like about the Mexican uh, style of, you know, um, yeah. shaved ice is they add those um, t- tamarind uh, candies. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Yeah, I like that. So, did they have any of that stuff at the uh, OCN market?
0: They did, but, I mean, being that I'm Mexican, I was kind of avoiding that. Oh, you were skipping all that, yeah. But there was one place that caught my attention. I can't remember the name of it, but because of the heat... It really attracted me. It was a place that made, uh, well, it's called uh, just agua in Spanish, mm-hmm. but it pretty much is different fruit, uh, different juices made out of different fruits, like watermelon, just pretty much because watermelon gets thrown into a blender and then poured out, mixed with more water and added with ice. So it's aqua frescas?
1: Yes. Yeah, I have hey, those. Good so job, those man, are huh?
0: Delicious. Well the thing is they sold it. They were selling them in, in like these giant baby bottles. It, it, honestly, it's probably like a gallon size baby bottle. Mm-hmm. And with the heat, it just looks so tempting, but the line was so long, I was like, uh I'm good. <laughs> it would have been refreshing though. Yeah, it would have. But I mean, you're visiting here too. You're being mm-hmm. a foodie. Tell us about your adventure.
1: Yeah, um for the past couple of days, uh I, I, I got here and I mean uh it's been a while since I've been back, so, I mean, it's only been two months, but I, I the last time I was here, I, I didn't really explore that much, but uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of foods in this area. I mean, there's so many to choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites that I've had in the past was uh, Fossimund's Ice Cream. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, Fossimund's Ice Cream has been here for a long time, dude. Um, they've been in Alhambra. California, since 1919. So a little bit. Yeah, so it's a bit, it's, it's a little while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost 100 years already. I mean, it's been a, a while, these guys. And uh, Fossilman's Ice Cream is uh, founded by Christian Fossilman and John Fossilman. Uh, they basically had like a little farm that they had where they make butter. And... For a while, you know, they, they wanted to make, like, you know, ice cream and all these other treats because they had all this butter laying around from their factories.
0: Got to do something with that butter.
1: Yeah. So, they created fossum as ice cream. And the difference <clears> between <throat> their ice cream and all the stuff that you get from the stores and everything, it's, just, it's the consistency of it is a lot creamier. And, hmm. you know, usually when you add a little bit more fat into the ice cream, it, it just tastes
0: amazing yeah and you can usually see that if you open up a you know store brand like ice cream and one that's like really good brand Mm -hmm. you can almost see the ice crystals on the cheap one because there's so much extra water in it yeah and you know
1: that i mean even though they they use the machines and everything to grind everything down and you know mix everything Mm -hmm. these guys usually have more of a consistency like they when you eat their ice cream you you know what you're expecting the quality is always high because these guys wake up early in the morning they make
0: uh like 40 something different batches of ice cream so it's like those donut places that wake that, that start super early just like so and can sell out by 10 a.m yeah and these guys go
1: home early too so once once they have all their batches done whatever they need to do they, they head home and they have a whole kitchen more than like 10 to 12 People in the Jeez. kitchen just you know making the ice cream every single day.
0: Yeah, I would, so I would gain like ten pounds if I worked there, dude. Oh my god, the, the ice cream's so good. Sample test. Oh, <laughs> they got
1: some really good flavors too. But before I get into that, you know, uh, this place has been around for a long time, and there's a lot of history in this town too, um, especially for this ice cream parlor. Mm-hmm. They they used to okay. Fossilman's Ice Cream was the first place that sold Jelly Belly. So the very first Jelly Belly was, was sold in Fossilman's Ice Cream Parlor by David Klein. But they didn't make it though, right? Oh no, David Klein is the one that made it. You know, people knew him as the Candyman. There was a whole documentary on it. He is called the Candyman because he's kind of like the Willy Wonka of,
0: of candy. Did he have a pink purple suit? yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! What? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay,
1: but he did wear a lot of costumes when he tried to promote his stuff. Right, like he was on the Johnny Carson show. He was on a bunch of other shows, and he would always bring candy, you know, to the audiences. And uh, you know, he made multiple appearances. He was kind of like a walking billboard.
0: Yeah, he was a showman.
1: Yeah, he was a showman, uh, and he loves making candy. And his idea. During the time that you know blew off the chart was Jelly Belly, and Jelly Belly has so many different flavors. He wanted to make like you know exotic flavored jelly beans because jelly beans you can only you know add a couple of flavors in and it's just regular jelly beans. But and I'm he ass- what?
0: Went- and I'm assuming back then too the, I mean the kind of the normal thing to do would be to just add food coloring, but there was just a sugar pill. Yeah, exactly. So he.
1: Wanted, you know, jelly beans with more flavors. So he created, you know, uh, I think it was twenty something flavors, and then he went he went off from there. And then some guy, I forgot to write down his name here, um, mm-hmm. but he bought the whole Jelly Belly brand for
0: fifty grand. Damn! Wait, wait, wait! What year was this? You know? uh,
1: this was probably like in the seventies or something. Seventies? Uh, actually, no, eighties.
0: 70s that's, 80s that's still a bargain damn
1: yeah and you know when we hear it today it's such a steal and you know it feels like this guy got robbed you know which he kind of did and you know stayed out on the contract he thought that he would have you know some type of portion of the company you know still in his mm-hmm. hands but pretty much he sold everything to this uh businessman and from there on, he lost the whole brand. And still today, he still makes candy, but there's nothing that really stands out except, you know, Jelly Belly, which was the biggest ones that he had.
0: That sucks. So they pretty much uh, cut him down.
1: Yeah. But anyways, I mean, they're still selling Jelly Belly today in the ice cream parlor. And uh, Mun's Ice Cream has seemed to be the place that has a lot of history for uh, not only that, but other things, too. But...
0: I and mean also, the whole. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying. It also seems like Harry Potter seemed to revive the whole Jelly Belly thing, like Jelly Beans.
1: Yeah, yeah, for a while. I mean, Jelly Belly has tried to do different things by adding uh, popular flavors like Doc Pepper, Starburst flavors, Ooh. Jolly Rancher flavors. But you know, like Harry Potter kind of brought back the game a little bit. And, you know, the recent thing, I don't know if you've tried it yet, uh, Bean Boozled?
0: Yeah. Well, that's been around since, I think, the first movie came out when kids actually got to see the jelly beans. They described mm-hmm. them in the book, but it wasn't until the first movie kids were like, oh, I want to try those. Those are real. Yeah. No, yeah, I have tried them. And that is one of those things that you 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 do it because you're curious. But we, but when you get one of those bad jelly beans, you wonder to yourself, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. Actually, you (laughs) you brought them to my house. Yeah, that's fun. You made me eat dirt, jerk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Bean Boozled, which is the new um, Jelly Belly product that they're coming out with, is they come out with two jelly beans that look identical. But the only drawback is you have a 50-50 chance of eating either barf, or Something really pleasant, like,
0: um, yeah, I think it was like barf and creme brulee or something like that.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of cool. It comes in like a, a little um container, and every time you uh slide the container up, you get a brand new bean, but it's like it only
0: gives you one. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that uh, that one board game. I think it was Sorry, though, that yes. has a little popper in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind
1: of like that. I, I think that's a really great idea. So I think that's the only reason a lot of people are buying it right now is because of you know the, the bean-boozled challenge.
0: <laughs> I heard yeah. it's a challenge nowadays. Mm-hmm.
1: So anyways, falseman's Ice Cream, uh, they got amazing flavors like green tea, lychee, taro, and my favorite, black cherry, just to name a few. Mm. Um, they, they go with the extra mile for all these Different flavors. I mean, lychee is more of like a, a Asian exotic flavor. I mean, mm-hmm. passion fruit is also, and then green tea. But uh, I, green I, I guess green tea because, definitely is. Yeah, and I guess it's because you know the the area that it's in, Alhambra. There's a mixture of uh, different cultures there. There's, there's a lot of Chinese people, mm-hmm. um, um, Latin people, um, and uh, a bunch of different cultures of different flavors. So I think that's why they have a, a variety of these flavors. But the cool thing about this place
0: is, are, are you a big fan of milkshakes? Oh, yes. Even though I'm like partially lactose intolerant, I will sometimes jump on that grenade because i okay. to resist. So
1: this place is on, uh, according to the Guardian is the world's best milkshake. Ooh. Okay, so and it type- kinda explains it because I mean you got all this amazing ice cream that has a lot of fat content in there. Yeah. So you're gonna have a really, really creamy
0: milkshake. So do they make milkshakes out of any of the ice creams they have on hand or is it just select ones? You know what? I haven't tried it yet, because I just saw that they did
1: the best milkshake, so next time I'm coming back, I'm gonna try it and i'm going to be the judge for myself so
0: really anton you couldn't jump on the, you couldn't do another 1000 calories again i, I didn't know <laughs> i just <laughs> ate the ice cream that's cool yeah i mean maybe next time you go i'll, I'll join you even mm-hmm. though i'm not a fan of traveling to that area cuz of traffic and stuff like that but i mean I'll, uh, a milkshake might persuade me
1: yeah <laughs> anyways uh have you been reading up
0: on anything uh yeah actually uh i know last episode i talked about that I was gonna be binging on man of the High castle, but I got distracted by a book mm-hmm. <clears throat> called Black Privilege by Charlemagne the God. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of charlemagne? no yeah he's a he's actually a radio host from <clears throat> from New York. He's the host of the Breakfast Club.
1: Mm, okay, I know who you're talking about
0: yeah if, if he's he's on a lot of YouTube clips now um because of his interviews he does with different um hip hop stars and stuff like that. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So, he talks about him growing up in South Carolina. And, I mean, it kind of, it, it has that whole autobiography basic stuff in it, like him, him growing up, his, his childhood. But what really called out to me in the book was his work ethic. And he's... The fir- I mean, the first thing people will notice about the title is Black Privilege. Which is like... You know, kind of a turn-on phrase of the of uh, white privilege, and people are saying like, "Oh, well, what do you mean black privilege? What privilege do we have?" And his perspective is more, well, privilege is just your view on your current situation, and the quote he keeps repeating in the inside the, every story that he has is from Winston Churchill. He says, "A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity." And Optimus sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And he ties that into stories of like people that, especially now with millennials, I mean, you and I are kind of on the borderline of, you know, people that still, you know, work hard to get to where they're at. And the people that, you know, they they see success, especially in the IT world, and they're like, I want that. But if you offer them a free internship where they don't get paid, they just get the experience. They go, "No, no, 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 no. I want this much because I know blah 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 makes this much and stuff like that." You know, they feel more entitled. And <clears throat> sorry, sorry, an early morning recording. Um, he has another phrase that he keeps repeating. He kind of made it up himself. Was his uh, "put the weed in the bag"? And this is. This is the tie back to when he was a child. Uh, he used to sell drugs because he he grew up in a small town, and that's all it really was. Either you work in McDonald's, or you do some illegal ish. That and sounds like the hood. Pretty much, but it's more in the in the in the country. And he would he he made this phrase saying, "You can't you can't ask for people to pay you before you put the work in first. And that's what he means. Like before, you go out to sell your weed, you have to pack it up in bags, and then you go hustle, and then you get paid. And I mean, we we both we both grew up this way. I mean, your your family hustled, my parents hustled. Even when you moved to Florida, you you move there without a promise of guaranteed success, and you and your cousins you work you guys worked hard for that.
1: Yeah, I mean everybody that you know worked from the the very bottom from nothing to something it's there's a reward at the end you know like that 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 feeling that you're you've gone so far just to be able to succeed right and and my parents done the same thing i mean they they they, they crossed the seas they crossed the ocean mm-hmm. just to get to where we are today is, you know, they went here to give us an opportunity, their, their kids, an opportunity to be able to, to live and prosper.
0: Right. And the, I think that's where the whole, you know, what, what it goes back to saying privilege is just a perspective of your current situation. Uh, some people might see, you know, us being, you know, first generation as, you know, a handicap or some sort of something holding us back. But to us, we see it as, well, our parents gave us what they could, so now it's up to you and me to push it further. So that, you know, our kids in the future will have their leg up, and then they could push it further. I, I, I love the book, this whole thing that he... He just does t- such a good job. He's a really good. He's really good guy with words. You can tell why he's a radio host, mm-hmm. and it, it's just funny as hell too. Um, he has a lot of stories. Uh, they all kind of tie into the same theme about you know working hard for what you have and having that drive. Mm-hmm. He told one story. I forget the name of the DJ. Either DJ or rapper, but he was in Florida, and he said he he stopped by the studio. To just kind of like hang out with the guy because he's seen him at some events and he got invited over. He walked in. They were just doing some recordings and stuff like that. And the guy had a lot of tracks. He hadn't. He wasn't famous yet, but he had like he had some songs. And I mean, like most rappers, or at least producers, they'll have dozens, if not hundreds, of different beats. Just just audio beats and then once they they have a song then they'll try to match it up with a beat. So it's kind of like Timbaland. Yeah. He just ha- he has it stocked up. He's just trying to, fu- you know, he he has one half of the puzzle. He wants the other half now. Mm-hmm. So he was talking about like, you know, his experience with that guy. He was there for a couple hours and then finally one of the guys in the background who's been helping him with the recordings says, "Hey, can you give me one of your can I give, can you give me one of your beats so I can so I can try one of my, my uh, lyrics on him, And the rapper just turns and says, like, dude, no, you're not having any anything. And the guy says, like, why? Like, you know, like, I've been, you know, help me out here. I've been helping you out. And he just flat out says, because your lyrics are a joke. What? So like that. And the guy, he got upset. like kind of. I, I, I think he was probably helping him for a while and finally realized that, you know, this guy was going to hold him back the whole time. So it's like, screw it, like, why am I Why am I even bothering? I'll just try to find an opportunity somewhere else. So he got mad at the guy and says, you know what? You're in the 305, all right? You're going to remember that one day. And, well, and that's what Starling points out. Like, at first, it kind of sounds like a threat. But in the way he said it, it was more like, this town isn't known for rapping yet, but mm-hmm. it's going to be known because of me. Can you get? Can you guess who who that guy was? Pitbull. Yes.
1: Yeah. Right when you said three oh five, I'm like, yep, that's Pitbull.
0: And that's what I said. Like when the guy when Pitbull got into his car and it's beat up like old. I forgot. I think he said like Civic or no, uh, Acura. And they drove off. Charlemagne was like, whether that guy makes it or not, he's not gonna go. He's not gonna quit without without uh trying. <laughs> and just it's just stories like that. Like you can tell, like. Yeah, there's one thing having examples, but to have stories of people that you know have success. And yes, Pitbull's lyrics are not the best, but his songs are catchy as hell. Yeah, you it's the worldwide. Yeah, you can't go to a party or a club without a uh, like 50% chance you're going to hear one or two of his songs.
1: Yeah, and your feet's going to start moving. With yeah, the Latin beats.
0: Yeah, no, the, the lyrics are are a joke, but they're catchy as hell, so I give him that. <laughs> All right, Anton, what else you got?
1: Um, Yeah, so we were talking about festivals earlier. And in Orlando, we have this festival called uh, Fringe Orlando. And uh, what Fringe Orlando is, is it's a festival of performing arts. It's just a bunch of people doing, like, theater acts in, like, the most impromptu places, like the park Like in the middle of a parking lot, inside a a local theater, in a amphitheater, at a school, in a gym. It's pretty much everywhere over town type of thing.
0: And Anywhere they can perform, they'll they'll take it.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, it started in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, 1947. There was a a bunch of theater companies that didn't really have um, a place to do their plays. Mm-hmm. So they did it in their basement and uh, they did it in a couple of like weird small spaces because all they wanted to do was to express their art. And... Which, which is
0: common in larger cities because, they, yeah, cities have theaters and stuff like that, but they're expensive. Oh,
1: yeah. That's also the reason why a lot of these people do the fringe <laughs> um, type of uh, events. Mm -hmm. And this happens all over North America and in some other uh, countries and places too. And if you go on the Fringe website, you can find uh, a lot of these festivals that are happening. The the one in California is actually in San Diego. I think that's coming up very soon, so I don't know if you want to check that one out. So basically uh, what you do is if you want to attend it, you, you would buy a ticket, and instead of a regular ticket... They would give you a button, and as long as you have that button, you can go to any of these performances. And sometimes, like they have like last minute um uh, events and places that they don't really tell you, mm-hmm. so y- you kind of have to find that out from word of mouth. And the only way to enter those places is if you have that button.
0: So, is it a weekend or how how long is the festival?
1: It- it's it's a whole uh week type thing mm-hmm. uh. In Orlando, it started on uh, May 16th, and it's going on till the 29th. Okay. So, yeah, it, it's a great event. Um, I mean, I've been here in Orlando for about uh, six years now, and I have never gone to this thing, <laughs> and I'm really interested in it because I, you know, I during high school and middle school I was in you know theater production, so. I like a lot of these things. And um, the, the cool thing about these type of uh, events is all the money goes back to the performers. So like you said, you know, a, a lot of these performers, you know, they, they want to do their plays from, you know, theaters. But, I mm-hmm. mean, the, the cost of renting it out and the whole production is so expensive.
0: It, it's a gamble too. I mean, if yeah. you're either a writer or performer, director, whatever, it's a gamble for you because you have to invest so much just to put your work out into the audience.
1: Yeah. And then plus, like if you're a writer, you know, who wants to do like a full production, you mm-hmm. know, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. You're going to have to pitch to a lot of, you know, uh, uh, theaters and, and, and productions in order to have your, your play to even. Start, you know,
0: right to to even get to the point where it gets reviewed.
1: Yeah, so this is a good opportunity for a lot of those people that are interested in you know doing it for fun, and sometimes you know uh, they they just want an audience to experience you know uh, their storytelling. It's it's a kind of art that you know needs to be displayed. You know, usually when people have um, those art galleries. You know, it's it's an amazing experience to go there and see all these, you know, work. But you know, for plays and stuff like that, it's really hard to find those types of stuff. You you have to go to like Broadway and you have to pay, uh, you know, an arm and a leg to see a, a good production. You know.
0: So I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but it's it's YouTube for live performance.
1: Yeah, I mean when you watch stuff on YouTube, I mean it's it's the same thing every time you watch it, which is kind of like watching a movie. But when you're experiencing something live, it's a totally different experience.
0: You're no, there. No. no, what what I mean is like what YouTube did for or actually or YouTube, Netflix, all the stream services did for small budget, you know, shows or movies. You know, before you had to work through a movie studio, and then they would have to invest because it's a lot of money into your project. I mean, they receive hundreds of thousands of movies every, every day, every every month. And YouTube made it a way for people to, you know, put their work out for thousands and millions of people to enjoy at a fraction of the cost.
1: Yeah, it's an open media.
0: Yeah, there you for go. For anybody to access. So I'm guessing it's more like that. Like it's, it, it's more attainable to put your work out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the the tickets to um uh, this type of event is it's not that expensive either. It's 10 bucks for a button.
0: Damn. Yeah. So, I mean that's definitely cheaper than a, than yeah. a movie than a movie ticket. Mhm. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I mean if I can, yeah, I'll try to check out the San Diego one. Yeah. What would you say the San Diego one was? Rough estimate.
1: Rough estimate, I would say during the summer, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if I'm down there you know, maybe I'll get some get some beers at all the breweries down there. Check out a couple of performances.
1: So I heard you were watching some new TV shows.
0: Not that I was watching them. I heard some news about upcoming shows. It's gonna be on Discovery. It's called Manhunt. Oh, okay. And it is starring Paul Bettany. You know, the Vision from the Avengers. Oh, I love Paul Bettany. Uh, Sam Worthington from Avatar. And it is going to be about the Unabomber. Wait, the Unabomber. So it's going to be a mini series similar to, you know, People versus OJ. You know how these crime short, short series are kind of catching up. Yeah, we're not catching up, uh, catching on. Mm-hmm. And like I, I guess it's just like another series they're going to want to do. So for those that either weren't around, because I mean, the Unabomber was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, it was quite some time ago.
0: Like, over 20 years ago, dude.
1: Yeah, that's been a while.
0: So, yeah, so, okay, so, for those who don't know the Unabomber, uh, he killed three people, injured 23. Oh, my gosh. He had a 17-year plan to blow up and target... Target and blow up universities, airlines, government buildings until media and newspapers agreed to uh, publish his 35,000-word anti-technology manifesto.
1: That sounds like the Zodiac or something. That's crazy.
0: And this, the thing that made the Unabomber scary, too, back in the day is that he was a genius. Mm-hmm. And not, like, mastermind genius, like, legit genius. Like, he had a high IQ. He was a professor. Um, Can't remember which university, but he was a professor for, like, a short term before he just... Started losing it and became more isolated. He he pulled himself away from the world, and that's when he wrote his manifesto, and that's when he started blowing up buildings, which only killing three people. That's just it, seeing if you remember like the news reports from back then. There would be times where like a a corner of a building would be gone.
1: That's freaking crazy, dude.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think the Unabomber was seen. Well, he was a terrorist before terrorist was a buzzword. But, like, the way people think of terrorists now, like, that was the Unabomber. You never knew what was going to happen. You knew he was out there, and he was flat out saying that he was going to do what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's going back to the 90s. 90s was a scary time.
1: Yeah, 90s. There were so many things that happened <clears throat> during the 90s. Like, the. LA riots and stuff like that, you know.
0: But I think they saw the success with you know people versus OJ and all the serial killers, so it's nice that Discovery is trying to jump aboard. And it's a great cast. I mean, Paul Bettany's awesome.
1: Yeah, he's a great actor. I mean, I love his yeah. all the movies that he's in. All right,
0: let's switch to movies. Um, I, I want to see if you can guess what the top movie come, going into this weekend is.
1: Uh, I thought uh, Alien came out last week, right? So that that should be the
0: one that topped the box office? Going into this weekend, it is going to be Baywatch. Baywatch. Oh, my gosh. Put it this way. On Thursday's numbers, Baywatch, 4.6 uh, million. Guardians is finally kind of dwindling down to 2.4. Alien Covenant, 1.7. What?
1: See... Alien Covenant got a better score than Baywatch did. But surprisingly, I guess it's the other way around.
0: Well, and, and I think that we're talking about off the show about that this is. Right now, the Alien franchise is being supported by the hardcore fans, which you pointed out.
1: Yeah, the hardcore fans is, is going to love the, 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 the way that this movie is set up. For the next couple of movies.
0: Right, and the casual fan, the ones that liked the original original movies and was kinda thirsty for a new movie, I think they were kinda burned by Prometheus. Yeah. Because Prometheus opening weekend made fifty one million. But after that flopped, now Alien Covenant, its opening weekend, only made 36 million. But you're right, I mean, maybe reviews will kind of pitch it up a bit, but I mean, it's competing against The Rock and uh, Efron and a couple of hot chicks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's very hard to contend against, so. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Alien, um, because you heard of, you know who Neo Blomfkamp is, right? No. He's the one that did the movie District 9 with the alien. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. He was
0: original. He the original one tied to the Halo movie when the, when it was in talks, right?
1: Exactly. So, I'm a big fan of his. He had amazing concept artwork for a revamp on the Alien series. Mm-hmm. And he kind of pitched it to Ridley Scott, who is the director of all the Alien movies and a couple of other amazing movies. And he turned it down. He's He kind of kind of slapped Neil Blomkamp in the face and said, I'm revamping this series, so I'm doing all these prequels, so there's no need.
0: Wait, so was the one that he was pitching, was it a complete reset? No, or it was, was it a continuation
1: part... with Sigourney Weaver. Okay. And they, they were in the talks for a while because Sigourney Weaver did know about it too. Mm-hmm. And she was being asked about it in a couple of interviews. Yeah, and the concept drawings are amazing. Uh, I think he had a whole idea of
0: what he wanted to do with the storyline. And you know, um, he has a great vision. He, he like all the stuff I've seen him pit, like, you know, the concept drawings like for that. He has great visions. So I'm wondering if maybe it's just his salesmanship sucks. No,
1: I think it's uh, it's just that really Scott. He's getting old. (laughs) No, but I'm
0: talking about also like the whole, the Halo area too.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I think, uh, he just had too many projects during that time.
0: All right. are you're saying about Ridley Scott?
1: Yeah. So Ridley Scott, uh, he had a time where he just did dramas. I don't know, uh, there there's a couple of dramas with, uh, what's his name, the guy from uh, uh, Gladiator? Russell Crowe? Yeah, Russell Crowe, he did a lot of, like, dramas, like, uh, there was a movie with Freddie Highmore, where he was a little kid, and then when he grew up, he had this, like, romance thing with this girl that he had when he was, you know, younger, uh, yeah, there was a lot of, like, really softy stuff that, you know, Ridley Scott did for a while. Like he was
0: got- he was going for Academy Awards and Oscars, yeah. And like that, rather than so, mm-hmm.
1: I guess you know he kind of missed that, you know, horror type movie, you know, aspect to it. So that, I think that's why he returned
0: back into, you know, doing Alien. So let me ask you a question. So in high school you were director, and even in college you were into filming and trying to get into that world. From your point of view, would you rather create your own world like in a sci fi like concept, or would you try to do more of a drama, down to earth drama?
1: You know, what, cha- s- what
0: challenge would you take?
1: Sci fi is more challenging, uh, because there's a whole world that you have to create, you know, and I think and it that's has to make fun- sense, yeah, it has to make sense. And you you would have to sit down and you know basically uh, draw a whole map on how to you know uh, encounter everything because there has to be a backstory to every single thing that you're creating because there's going to be those hardcore fans that are going to be like oh so how how does this thing work you know how is this uh, possible uh, scientifically right you got to have an answer for that and I know like that a- you know Star uh, Star Wars uh, uh, story group has a really fun time, you know, answering questions. Especially, so, like,
0: like last episode when we were talking about from that Nerdist channel because science.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, good pod, uh, good show, by the way. Uh, it, recently, there's this guy on YouTube. I uh, I can't think of the name right now. I I saw it uh, recently. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but he went on a search to find that stormtrooper that bumped his head.
0: Oh, I, I, I don't know. Who, I've heard of it, but I didn't know. Like, he did a documentary about it.
1: Yeah, it's like a little short documentary on it, and it's so cool. Like, uh, <laughs> he interviewed, like, so many people trying to find that stormtrooper because he wanted to understand what's the whole story behind that, you know? Is it because is it done intentionally You know, uh, like, you know, the the people of, uh, you know, Star Wars Story Group would say, you know, that he is a robot. Robots make mistakes. I don't know.
0: But robots. Well, and okay. And again, I'm a big Star Wars fan. The original trilogy was kind of put on a pedestal when it comes to sci-fi. The story and the world are great. But the movie production was very, very low, and I think that's what gives George Lucas more credit that he did so much with so little. There's stories of people that are going to to Skywalker Ranch, and and George Lucas has like converted part of his ranch into a museum. Like you're you're walking through like a, a gallery while you as you go to his office, and as they were going through. I can't, remember, I can't remember which which blogger or YouTuber did this. But as they were going through the museum, they stopped and looked at this small, tiny model, which used to be, which used, sorry, which was used in the Death Star run when, like, the the X-Wing fighters and TIE fighters are like, fighting over the Death Star. Yeah. And there's a small portion of it that they use it, and he took a close look, and he goes... Man, so much detail. How'd you guys do it? And the guy that's giving him a tour says, take a closer look at that piece right there. It was a paper Dixie cup. Like you know, like those paper cups? Yeah. Yeah, it was a paper Dixie cup that they just cut out and painted. It's stuff like, like and 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 he pointed out like that's that's what we had to do. We had this budget and we had to make it work. Wow. So, again, I, this goes back to original, like or the uh, the book, Black Privilege, it's a perspective. Some people might see their budget as a limitation, while others will look at it as a challenge, saying, it is what it is, let's make it work and make it the best we can.
1: That's pretty cool. It, it's the little details and, uh, you know, impromptu stuff that brings it more power.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it gives that special charm.
1: Yeah, so anyways, um, I think we're running out of
0: time. Yeah, but before we wrap up, let's tell people how they can support us.
1: Yeah, uh, you can help us out by going to our website at www.the20c.com and click on the Buy a Severe button. Or if you like something that you heard from the show that you would like to purchase, you can click on one of the links in our show notes.
0: And coming soon, we're also going to be putting an Amazon banner link. That's if you don't have extra income or have extra cash to donate to us the Amazon links and affiliate links are a good way to support us because if you're already going to go to Amazon to buy an item just click through our page click on that link buy your item it's going to be the same price for you as it was before you went to our page and Amazon will give us a portion of that so it's a good way to support us without you know you paying extra
1: and since uh, you know you're you can go shop. On Amazon, you can also shop on our website to buy some t-shirts or stickers. And pretty soon, we're going to be having some other stuff, too, on there.
0: All designed by Anton, of course. Yes. And uh, one thing that we really want to do with the show is Anton and I, we talk about these subjects not because we think they're they're what people want to hear. It's stuff that we love. Like, Anton didn't go out to, sorry, F- Fossilman's? was it? Fossumans. Sorry. I don't think. Anton didn't go out to Fossumans for the show. He did it because it's his, he's interested in that. We don't go to Disney for the show.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the little histories and stories that I like that we like.
0: Right. I don't binge on shows or read books for the show. I do it because I love it. And we like to share it with you. But you know what? We want to build a community here, so we want to hear what you're into and why you like it. So you can reach us out through social media on either Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, The2OC for each of those social media pages, or email us directly at mail at the2OC.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Anything else, Anton? Nope, I think that's it. Let's wrap it up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm
1: Alan Flores. And I'm Anton Duong. See ya. See ya.